Good evening. Hey. It's the first time I'm using this microphone, so I'm still a little hesitant to fully trust it, but we'll see how that goes. Um, turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2 tonight. Philippians chapter 2. It's great to be back here in Fairdale. Um, I was telling my wife that I really missed her, and I really missed Hazel, um, first and foremost. But one thing I didn't realize I would miss as much as I miss was First Baptist Church of Fairdale. Um, we were traveling all day in Mexico last Sunday, and I was just thinking to myself, I really wish I was at home with my church family worshiping together, hearing Josh Green preach. So um, it's just sweet to be home um, with everyone. Forgive me if I seem a little awkward when preaching today. Um, I really got used to two things when I was in Mexico, preaching big books of the Bible. Um, tonight we're going to be looking at a section, as we always do, and uh, speaking um, through a translator. So if I take a big pause, I'm just waiting for the translator to kind of say what I'm about to say. So forgive me for that. But I'm excited to teach tonight on Philippians 2. Um, I've been reading through it again and again, and uh, just excited to, 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 to preach tonight. If you would, go ahead and uh, we'll read Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But, though, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that short, shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also, but on me also. Least I have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and, I, and that I might be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a, a good and holy God. You are a a God that keeps his promises to us. Um, you accomplish your will in our lives, That's something that we could not do, and we just praise you for that. And Lord, we just, we pray that you would tonight teach us what it means to be a good church family together in this scripture, through this scripture, God, and build us up. I pray that tonight, I would decrease and you would increase. Not my words would leave my lips, but it would be your words, Lord. Draw near to us tonight, Lord, as we draw near to you. And Lord, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. 
Amen. So this chapter in Philippians, we're coming to a close of Philippians chapter 2. I went back and listened to the previous sermons. Um, very encouraged by Jake's sermons last week. Um, I'm sad I missed it, but he did a great job outlining verses 12 through 18. And as I read more and more of this chapter, um, it seemed to me that this chapter was broken up into three distinct parts. Uh, verses 1 through 11, we have what many people consider the Christ hymn. Some of the most beautiful theology of who Christ is, what he accomplished on the cross, what he did when he took on human likeness. Um, the, the passage that Jake preached coming right after, um, verses 12 through 18, about the application of that theology. Uh, we see this great theology that Paul laid out. Now what? Right? We must obey, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, hold fast to the word of life and rejoice. And then we come to this part, verses 19 through 30. Kind of seems out of place. Uh, most of the time with smaller, these uh, similar epistles, we see these type of descriptions as almost farewells. Uh, you read in the very next book in Colossians, and it's a similar idea in chapter four, final greetings. We have people that they both know. Uh, they are um, saying goodbye. I hope this person comes see you. Uh, pray for me, those type of things. And it's kind of in the middle of Philippians as opposed to being at the end. Um, and I was curious. It took me a while to, to, to figure out why Paul did this. Why did Paul kind of put this greeting and this, um, uh, you know, personal idea, very personal, in the middle of this theological book instead of the end? Well, like I said, like I said, I believe that this uh, chapter is split up into three parts. First, we have the doctrine of Christ, who he is, his self-sacrificing love to us, what he accomplished. Second, as, as Jake preached, we have how we should live in that light. And finally, in verses 19 through 30, Paul gives us real live examples of what that looks like. We have Timothy and Epaphroditus. They live in light of that in light of the fact that Christ did this. They understand this application, and here is how they live. So Paul is giving us real live examples that they would know to help us better understand how to live in light of that fact. So as we walk through this passage tonight, there are three things that I want to highlight. I want to highlight the selflessness of Timothy, the courage of Epaphroditus, and finally, the love found in the church. So first, the selflessness of Timothy. We see Paul in verse 19 wants to send Timothy for a specific reason. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. Paul states that he hopes in the Lord. So side note, not the main point that I'm trying to make, but notice what Paul's outlook for this type of thing is in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord. Paul's about to lay some specific plans of what he's gonna do. He's gonna send Timothy um, for some specific reasons. He's gonna send Epaphroditus. He hopes to come himself. 
but he understands that all of these plans are subject to God's plan and his timing. Paul knows that he can make all the plans in the world, but if it's not God's plan, they won't happen. Again, that's just a side note, not the main point, but it's just Paul continues to do that in these verses. Anyway, he hopes to, in Christ, send Timothy so he may be cheered, encouraged, brought up by the news of them. Paul states that his main purpose in sending Timothy is that he would be encouraged by the news of them. The church that Paul is writing to, we have to remember, he helped found in Acts 15 during Paul's second missionary journey. He founded this church, so he knows intimately these people. Uh, These people, he saw many of them come to Christ. He saw them uh, get leadership positions. He saw them grow, and now he wants news from them. Throughout the book of Philippians, we see Paul using this intimate language of brother, soldier, fellow worker in Christ, because he knows who these people are. It says in chapter one that every time he hears of their news, he's encouraged. He rejoices, and he wants them to rejoice as well. So news of them, uh, whatever that might be, brings Paul great encouragement. And what kind of news is Paul hoping for? Well, exactly what he expressed in the previous verses. Verses 12 through 16, things that they should be doing. Now he is sending Timothy to help them with this task. He is sending, according to verse 20, his best. For I have no one like him, speaking of Timothy, I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. What sets Timothy apart from everyone else, according to Paul? Why is Timothy so special? It's because he is concerned for their welfare. And in verse 21, a greater compliment, he seeks their own interest. He, uh, for everyone else seeks their own interests. Timothy seeks those of Jesus Christ. He is generally concerned for their welfare. Timothy has a pastoral heart, like many other people. He's deeply connected with the people, their success, their spiritual walk. And he's not concerned with his own interest, only that of Jesus Christ. Timothy is one that cares for the interests of Jesus Christ. The description of Timothy sure sounds a lot like the description of how we should live found in verses one through four of chapter two. So listen to chapter two of verse one through four. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affliction and sympathy, Complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also but to the interest of others. Paul, previous in chapter two, says, don't Look for your own interests. Look for others. Timothy does that. That's why I'm sending him to you, because he's not like everyone else. I care so much about this church, about the church um, that he knows, that he's intimate with, um, that he sends Timothy, because he knows Timothy will care for that church. Timothy's not going to care about himself, so he's sending 
him. Ultimately, Timothy is emulating the example given to us by Jesus. Remember Philippians chapter two, verse seven. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ emptied himself. He became a servant. Timothy is following the example of Jesus. And he's going to them so that they can follow the example of Timothy who followed the example of Jesus. Again, we have this um, effect. Um, Jesus, disciple maker, who makes disciples, who make disciples. It's a, it, it, it goes on and on. It's something that we pray for every day. In verse 22, we move forward. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. These people knew who Timothy was. So Paul was sending one, someone he, he knew would care about their spiritual walk, and two, that these people knew who Timothy was. We know from reading Acts that Timothy was with Paul during his second missionary journey. So he was likely with Paul whenever he founded the church of Philippi. So just like Paul, Timothy saw these men and women come to know the Lord, grow, take leadership positions, and in turn, these people knew and trusted Timothy. Paul didn't want to send someone who they didn't know, but Timothy was there from the beginning as well. He had an interest in these people because he's lived life with them. They trusted him. It takes time to build a relationship, but it takes a lot longer to build trust. Uh, we all trust Josh Green as our pastor. And it isn't in, inherently because he's such a skilled preacher or a pastor who care, cares deeply for ourselves. He's both of those things, and we would all agree. But it's first and foremost because he's lived life with us. We know how he cares because he cares for us. We see that through his actions. So he's sending Timothy because he knows Timothy would care for their souls. He doesn't care about his own interests. He's following the example of Jesus Christ and they know and trust Timothy already. We see this model of, 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 of ministers ministering, living life with people. We also see a glimpse of the relationship that Paul and Timothy have together. Paul calls their relationship like a father and son relationship. We could spend a lot of time speaking about their relationship, how Paul discipled Timothy. Many of us know that. How uh, Timothy was a protege of, 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 uh, of, Tim, of Paul and the discipleship of them too. But for time's sake, we'll move forward um, to verse 23 and 24. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. In these two verses, Paul kind of wraps up this specific section of the text. 
He states that because of these things, he is sending Timothy. So because Timothy's so great, because he cares so much about these people, because Timothy doesn't care about himself, he is sending him and he hopes to come his, his himself. Remember, Paul is in jail. He is waiting to find out if he will be executed. So he's waiting to see how things will turn out. And then he will send Timothy so they will have news of Paul. Again, they care about Paul. They're connected with him. And then in verse 24, he states that, just like in verse 19, that if it be God's will, Jesus' will, he too will visit them. He hopes to visit them. He wants to see them. He's encouraged by them because of their relationship. Paul is basically saying, this is what I want to do. This is the plan I'm going to, that's, that I have. But again, it's up to God and his timing. Paul then switches his focus from Timothy to Epaphroditus in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. We don't, know a mu- we don't know much about Epaphroditus. He is only mentioned twice in the New Testament, both times in Philippians. Unlike Timothy, who is mentioned throughout the New Testament, who has leadership roles that we know of, we don't know what his role in the church was. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus, however, are important to the task of the gospel. And we see the courage of Epaphroditus in this text. The language that Paul uses to describe his relationship with Epaphroditus is, again, personal, right? This is a very personal text. We have the fact that he is his brother, again, highlighting that relationship, his relationship with the church. He states that they were fellow workers with the gospel, soldiers speaking of the battle that they are fighting together. Again, there's this unity between Paul and this church that he loves, There's this unity between Paul and the fellow workers that are sending people to help Paul. We see that in chapter four of verse 18, if we turn over, we understand whenever it says that he was a messenger and a minister to his need. So verse 18 of chapter four, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent So Epaphroditus went out from the church to meet Paul, because Paul was in prison, to give him need, whatever financial need, spiritual need, because he knew he needed money and clothes and support. But during this trip, in verses 26 and 27, something happened. For he has been longing still speaking about Epaphroditus, for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also me, lest I be, have sorrow upon sorrow. According to Paul, Epaphroditus was sick. During this trip, during this um, sending out from the church of Philippi, Epaphroditus became so sick, there was worry that he might die. And according to Paul, God had mercy on him. There's no indication from the text that this was a miraculous healing like we see throughout the New Testament. 
but Paul still gives all credit to God. God healed Epaphroditus, had mercy on him. And because of that, he's healthy. And now Paul is rejoicing, hoping that Epaphroditus can go back home and reconnect with the church. And we, we can all understand how that church might have felt. If last Sunday, you, everyone got a call saying Josh Womble is so sick right now, he can't travel and he might die. Well, you can imagine how tore up our church would be. We would be praying day and night, wondering, is he going to come home? Is he going to be okay? Should we go to him? Should we wait? What should we do? These people were waiting to hear news of their fellow church member. And they finally hear that he's going to be okay and he's coming soon. So everyone can not be as anxious as they were, as, as we can all understand they were. And Paul says that that would have saddened him and he would have sorrow upon sorrow. Again, we see this relationship that Paul has with his church. He loves all the people. And then we see in verses 28 and 29 this reunion that's about to happen. I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I might be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So you have this group of people right now. You have Timothy, Paul, Epaphroditus. You have the church at Philippi. They're all worried about one another. Epaphroditus wants to go home because he knows those people are afraid. The church wants him to come home. Paul wants him to go home. I'm sure Timothy wants him to go home. And don't miss this. In the middle of this theological book, some of the best and some of the most beautiful theological language that we have in the New Testament about Christ in chapter two. Practical doctrinal things. Things that can seem abstract. Right in the middle of it, we have real practical life. People living. Things happening. This theology that we hold so dear, these doctrines are practical, right? This Paul and his understanding of Christ informs him how he should live and how he should feel about this church. Timothy and how he feels about Christ should inform him. How does he live in light of this? This is how he lives. He goes to them. Epaphroditus, how does he live in light of this? In light of the fact that Christ emptied himself, gave himself as a sacrifice to him. He goes and sees Paul. He helps in the gospel message. This is as practical as we can get. These are real people. And in verse 30, we see Paul highlighting something that we spoke about in a few verses ago. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus didn't know that he would get ill on the trip. He didn't plan to get ill. No one plans to get ill. And he didn't know he might die on this trip. But going to a foreign place for the gospel is always more risky than staying where you're at, where you're comfortable. 
But Paul is again connecting back these theological ideas back in the early chapter of two and making them as practical as they can be. Verse eight of chapter two. Being found in human form, speaking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ obeyed even though it led to his death. It led to his death and he continued to obey. Epaphroditus obeyed the work of the gospel to the point where he almost died. He would have continued to obey. You see, disciples emulating Christ's work here. You see, Epaphroditus' courage to follow Christ no matter what the cost. That's how we should live too. We should learn from Epaphroditus' life that he went out no regard of himself, only for the gospel's sake, and it almost cost him his life. But as we know from Paul, that's not the worst thing to, to lose. Which bring me, brings me to my last point. We see the love in the church here in these verses. We've walked around this point a, through time, a few times during this sermon. I don't think we... Uh, but I think we can all see the love that is expressed between these parties in these verses, right? Paul's love for the church in Philippi, the love that Paul expresses for his fellow worker, Timothy, the love that Timothy has for the church of Philippi because he will just go. There's no questions asked. The love of the church of Philippi sending funds and Epaphroditus to Paul, Epaphroditus almost dying for the work of Christ and the service of Paul. One thing that we should notice about their love for one another is that it's not just words. Their love is expressed, shown through their actions. They didn't just talk about love. They didn't hear that Paul was in jail and say, we love him, and then go out living their life. It moved them to action. They sent things for Paul. Paul, in response, sends things for them, letters, people to help them live life. What good would it have been if Paul just heard of them and said, well, I hope they do okay. I love them. Love turns to action. And we see that most in Christ's example when he came down for us and loved us. We see that in Paul's example and Timothy's example. This is how we should live as well. This church in the book of Philippians, these men are marked They are motivated, they are moved by their love for one another. And Jesus Christ expressed that this would be the case. Please turn to John 13. John 13, verses 34 through 35. Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how you will be able to distinguish true disciples of Jesus from non-disciples, by the fact that they have love for one another. Not love that just ends in words, not love that stops at just an expression, but that love that turns to actions, connecting by one string, 
There's one string that connects all of this, and that's Jesus Christ. That's where our love comes from, because he first loved us. Sometimes love, or sometimes our faith in Christ is the only thing we have in common as a church. But by God's grace, that is more than enough. Paul, Timothy, and the church of Philippi understood this, and the early church, after the completion of the New Testament, understood this as well. I want to read, I want to read a section out of a book I've been reading, because when I read it, it really hit me hard, challenged me in the way I live. A little background, it was written in the mid-2nd century. As many of you know, the early church was experiencing mass persecution and waves, um, Many people dying, many people being put to jail, many people going to the mines. And there was a lot of nasty charges that were thrown against the early church. And this is all after the, the, the apostles had, have died. Many people wrote books in defending the Christian truth. One book called um, The Embassy for the Christians, Answering Three Charges Against the Church, was written by a man named Athenagoras of Athens. Don't ask me to say that again. As the book implies, it was written to answer specific charges against the early church. They were throwing these charges to justify their persecution, and he writes a book to answer them. I've edited it down just a, just a bit for time, but in this section, it's this climax of his argument. He says this, first when speaking about their thinkers, the Greeks and Roman thinkers and their philosophers of their day, he states, who among them, the Greek and Romans, who are well-educated and speak well, promise their disciples that their instructions will make them happy? Who live in a way that instead of hating their enemies, they love them? Instead of speaking ill of those who reviled them, they bless them. And pray for those who plot against them. On the contrary, they never cease with evil intent. They are never bent on working some ill, making the art of words and not the exhibition of their deeds, their business, and their profession. So these people talk a good talk, but they, they don't walk the walk. They say a lot of nice things, but it doesn't mean anything in their lives. But among us, you will find uneducated persons, workers, old women, who if they are unable in words to, to express the clarity of our doctrine, by their deeds prove the benefit of our truth. Listen to this. They do not rehearse speeches, but exhibit good works. When struck, they do not strike again. When robbed, they do not go to the law. They give to those that ask of them and love their neighbors as themselves. When these awful charges against the early church were thrown at them, their number one defense was look at our lives. Look how we live. Look how we love one another. We care for each other. We are not what you say we are. We have proof. This is how we live. These Christians early Christians, were considerably different than everyone else because of their love they expressed for one another. They might not have been able to express it as well as everyone else, 
but they knew how to love because Christ first loved them. And of course, that sounds familiar to us. The mark of a true disciple, according to Jesus, is that we have love for one another. The early church understood this. The early Christians in the Bible understood this. And of course, our Savior, Jesus, understood this. We need to ask ourselves as a church, how can we love one another better? If it truly is the, is the true mark of a, of, of a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, how are we to love each other better? How are we to put that love into action? How can we serve one another better? When people look at us, they might have hate for us, slander us, or even persecute us. But they should first and foremost know who we are by our love that we express for one another. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your words. We thank you for your work that you have finished for us on the cross. You sent your son to die for our sins, and we, Lord, we, Lord, we rejoice in that. We thank you for everything that you have done for us. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen.